0: One of the most frequently asked questions in my DMs these days goes something like this. So many of my friends or family are leaving the church. What do I do or how do I respond? This really is a hard thing if you love your church as much as we do. But the way you respond is extremely important in doing exactly what we feel called to do as members of any church that worships God, which is to show love and kindness. Today we're going through a few key things that will help you navigate situations when people you love leave the church or leave their faith. So I do these spiritual Sunday spiritual Q& As on Instagram on Sunday. I've been doing it for a few months now. And I always think it's interesting when certain questions are asked over and over again. And so one question that keeps coming up is something along the lines of what do I do when my friends or when close family members or when so many people are leaving the church? And I think this is not just us, like overall in general, organized religion and and numbers of membership is down across the board since especially since the pandemic and people stopped going to like church buildings as much. So we're not going to talk so much about the need for organized religion or you know why why that's necessary or why believe, why we believe in that or anything like that. We're really going to talk mostly about what to do when someone you love leaves the church that you belong to or their faith in general. And this actually happens, I mean, it's happened a lot to both Neil and me, but I kind of was faced with this situation a few months ago. I was at Target and just shopping. I think it was, gosh, it had to have been like Easterish or something. I was shopping, I think, last second for some Easter supplies. And I saw someone who I recognized, like I recognized her face immediately and she had been going to church with us for a few years, and I had even seen her frequently in the temple, I said, oh, hi. And I said her name and walked over to her and started talking and said something about, I I guess I just haven't seen you guys lately. And she said, we left the church. And I kind of felt like I was a deer in headlights. Like I didn't know what to say. I didn't want to say the wrong thing. I didn't want to offend her. I wanted her to feel loved. I wanted her to feel like I still wanted to be her friend, but I very much was caught off guard in that moment. And I said, and this was not the right thing to say at all, but I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I hope I didn't offend you. And she said, no, I'm not offended. And for whatever reason, because we were in a public place, I didn't feel like it was the right time or place to say why, like ask her why and, and show that I cared or whatever. But I just kind of tried to fumble into a different topic and continue the conversation and be warm and friendly and loving. And, and that was that. And I walked away and I don't know what I could have done better specifically in that exact scenario, but I've thought a ton about it. And I've thought a lot about it too, as people have asked me, what do I do or what to do about so many people leaving? Or what do you do when someone leaves? So what are your initial thoughts, Neil?
1: I actually was kind of looking into this a little bit. There's a talk from one of the leaders in our church. This is actually from 1990, believe it or not. So kind of my era growing up, but really, really cool what he says. And I think he brings up some great points. So this is a talk in April of 1990.
0: So you would have been eight years old?
1: I would have been, yes, eight years old. So I don't think I was maybe watching. I was probably (laughs) playing with toys or with my buddies when this was happening, when he's giving this talk, but... This is Elder H. Burke Peterson of the 70. So he says, he opens it up and he he just flat out, his opening statement is, My brothers and sisters, I'm mindful that there are many who are struggling with faith and testimony. Some have even laid aside celestial pursuits because of weariness in the battle. So pretty interesting. He just breaks right into it. But I love what he says. It really resonates With my experience in talking to people who are going through different struggles or are in different places with their testimony or maybe are disenchanted with the church uh, or their faith or, or religion in general, initially says it is a fact that at times we can force, coerce, or intimidate individuals into obedience. There are even times when we are somehow somewhat successful in manipulating the human mind. We do not, however, have the capacity to force matters of the heart. We cannot force love and respect and admiration. We cannot force faith and testimony of truth. So I look at that and it makes me think of being a missionary up in Canada and running into these scenarios where when we would come in contact with someone who all different types, some were like members of a different church or shared our same faith, but weren't necessarily attending, or maybe were offended in some way, or people who are antagonistic against the church. But I, what I found is I, I think I, you know, I love what he says here that you can't, in those instances, what I found is I couldn't coerce someone or logistically make an argument that would change their mind and engage in some battle that would force them into like, oh, yeah, okay, you're right. Let me return to my faith or return to this, whatever it was. But I think it is a matter of the heart. And, and what he says here, he says that we can prepare someone's heart or be a part of preparing the heart to receive faith, to mm-hmm. receive a testimony. And that's our role that we have control over, yeah. which is pretty cool.
0: Well, I want to unpack a few things that you read from that quote that I really liked. So first of all, the coercion piece is really, really important, I think, because I think a lot of people, when they feel like they're losing someone or something, they start to like, I, I imagine a drowning person where they start to like wave their arms and they're trying really hard to just not drown or they see someone and they're they're trying to like rescue them. So they push harder or they try harder. And one thing I think that's so interesting that we're taught in the Bible is with the prodigal son, he gave his child agency. He didn't fight it when the child was like, "I'm out of here." and and this is different than what Jesus taught about going after the one. like and we can talk about that in a minute what that looks like, but I think it's a very key piece to let people have their agency and to respect that and show them love and that you That you're not like, oh, well, whatever, or that you're not disenchanted back with them. Because if anything, all that does is it almost affirms what they're feeling and thinking probably is, oh, well, if I'm not perfect or I don't fit into this mold, then I don't belong here. So, and I don't think that's anyone's intention, but I think that it can be tempting to feel like we got to go after this person. We have to save them when really if you look at the way even god handles all of his children it's like agency is such a key piece in the whole god's plan and letting people come down here and make their own choices so i think that not not falling into that temptation of trying to like guilt someone or coerce someone or like testify to them enough to get them back i think that's one thing that's Important. And I've watched people that I love who have gone through heartache with trying that with the best of intentions and it doesn't work, you know, and then learning from that and then being really open with me about, hey, I tried this and it, it wasn't the right thing. It wasn't the right path. And I have done things differently in later on down the road with other people. So I think that's important. But I also think going after the one where Jesus had the 99 and he went after the one. I think it actually can look a little bit differently than maybe what you would think, where it's like, go after that person, try to get them back. I almost think in a sense, it's more like go after that one person with love and just show them like an increase of love and increase of kindness so that they feel like you still care about them, even if they're not a tithe-paying calling, contributing person to your congregation that you still care about them. And one of our first episodes, episode four of this podcast was with a girl named Kenzie Elizabeth, and she talks about millennials and Gen Z people leaving their organized religion or leaving faith and how she decided to come back. And one of the things that I thought was so interesting was she said, and I've heard this many times, she said, nobody cared like these people who supposedly cared so much about me when I was involved, when something happened where she felt offended and she left, she was like, I couldn't believe that, like nobody reached out. And I've read other people's Facebook posts or things where they've kind of openly shared their leaving the church or leaving their organized faith or religion stories. And that's a common thread, right? I read people, who are like, wow, this community that supposedly is so loving, or they supposedly cared about me so much. Once I decided to leave, nobody even asked me why. And I don't think that's because people don't care. I think it's because people feel like I felt in Target where it's like, you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to come off as pushy. So I think it can be a lot of things, but I think sometimes just asking people like, hey, tell me about what happened. Tell me about why why you left or why you feel called in a different path or or why this is now your path or whatever. I think people appreciate oftentimes that display of caring, like genuinely, sincerely caring. And we've talked about that too with the book that we love, Leadership and Self-Deception, where if you treat people like a person and not just an object, you get so much farther
1: I think, and and that's actually one of the points that that's made in this talk by Burke Peterson. So one of the first things he says is he says, he's talking about the home. He says, your home, if your home is a home where the family members are loved unconditionally, regardless Mm -hmm. of behavior, then your home will have a spirit of warmth that will prepare the heart to receive the testimony of truth. He goes on to say, first look for the good in each person and mention it in a sincere and consistent way. It is amazing how hearts can be softened, testimonies implanted, and relationships improved when we begin to give a daily portion of heartfelt appreciation. So I think if people can feel that, and I I feel like I've had conversations before too with people uh, struggling with faith or in different situations, and the underlying, you know, you can almost see it in their eyes is that question of like, do you still love me? Do you still care about me? like here I am in the situation or here these are the questions and concerns? Like you can almost kind of sense like, okay, Am is I this, valid? Do I, I matter? Is this person still gonna love me? Like yeah. I'm I'm maybe I'm going against what I know for a fact is their personal dogma, their personal doctrine, their beliefs, and yet I'm I'm kind of challenging that with what I'm saying, or I wonder how they're gonna react. And so I think at that point, reacting with love, like recognizing, okay, although maybe I don't agree with you, or maybe you're making choices that aren't in line with what I would do, but as a person, as a human being, like I, I see you, I know you, like you're my friend. I love you. You're my family member. Like I love you, even though you're these choices or these decisions isn't going, they're not going to change that, that love or the unconditional love that I feel for you. And I think that's a question that can come up in their mind or, or people's mind in maybe not explicitly said, but you can kind of sense it in the conversations.
0: Well, and I think to further expound on the idea of caring and asking and being curious, I've had a couple of, not just a couple, like several situations with people I love, friends and family, where they've started to open up to me about their faith journey or what they still do believe a little bit of, or they have a hard time with this or that. It's really interesting that when I approach those situations, and I try to do this every time immediately with just having a prayer in my heart of help me to be led by the spirit in this conversation to know exactly what to say or what not to say. Oftentimes I would say more than not, more often than not, the prompting is just listen almost always. And I think that that's happening because people do just need to be heard and they need to be validated. And I actually had a situation once where I was at like a business lunch and I happened to sit next to a girl who had been divorced with children, then remarried. And she was talking to me about her situation, her scenario and what she went through and why she decided that the church wasn't for her anymore. And I basically just validated her and said, you know what? I've been divorced and went through a year-long legal separation where I was waiting for my divorce to be final. And it was really hard. It was hard to show up to church and to feel kind of like a social misfit and feel like people kind of didn't know what to do with me. And that there certainly were people who were Judging me, there were people who, a lot of people who were judging me behind my back and then a few people who even were saying judgmental comments to my face. And yet I had to figure out in that time period, like, why am I going to church? Is it a social thing? Is it because I really believe in the necessity of coming and taking the sacrament every week and whatever? But, but I didn't talk to her about that. I just said, you know what? I know to a certain degree I didn't have children when I went through that but I know how it feels to be kind of that social misfit person and to feel misunderstood and feel like you're going through something that's just unimaginably difficult and that people who have never been in that situation are casting judgment toward you I just said yeah I know how that feels and to a certain degree I I've been through something similar and I'm really sorry that you went through that and I didn't try to like Bear my testimony to her or anything. And this is someone who definitely knows because of how open I am all the time on social media where I stand with our church. So that, that wasn't a mystery to her. But I, so I didn't need to tell her any of that. She already knew that and still felt for whatever reason comfortable opening up to me and telling me that. And then probably a few weeks later maybe just like a week later, a few days later, she sent me a message and said, hey, I just wanted you to know that your response really meant a lot to me when I told you what my reason was for leaving the church and that you just validated my feelings. That really meant a lot. A lot of times people just want to feel that way. They don't want to feel like it's us against them. And I think that that's one of the ways that Satan loves it. He loves to make it feel like, a well, we're in the church and then, peop- then there's the people that are out of the church or whatever. And it's like these dividing lines. And ironically, the whole reason why we're going to church is because we all need to be saved. We all need a savior and that's why we feel compelled to go to church. So we're really quite honestly all the same. I mean, we all need the same Jesus. We all need the same atonement of Jesus Christ. We all need, it's like in the scriptures when it says, are we not all beggars? And that was something that I learned very profoundly when I did the 12 steps where it was like, oh my, it's not like a rank Order of my sins are greater or lesser, or I need Jesus a little more or a little less than someone else. We're literally all the same as far as we're all totally unworthy unless we have a savior to help us. Or even if you don't believe in Jesus, like you, we all need God equally. We're all like less superior than the superior being who created all of us. It's really not so much an us against them thing, it's very much more a we're all just the same. Whatever path someone else is choosing is really only their own. That's that's up to them. And even people who are married. I mean, I get that question a lot too. Like, I'm so tired. My husband doesn't want to go to church anymore. He's not invested in this. Or I'm the only one and I'm dragging him along. And I've written many posts on Instagram about how salvation is individual. It's not actually a race, a couple's race to the finish line. It is still, even when you marry someone, it's still a very personal individual thing. And that was a huge differentiation for me in being able to break off my codependency with you and just say, this is Neil's journey. If Neil chooses to live in addiction instead of recovery for the rest of his life, that's on him. And he gets to answer to God and he gets to also live with how much peace he has in his own life because of whatever choices he's making. But that's not my job to be in charge of that or judge that or tally or anything like that. And I, I found so much peace and happiness once I just let go of that feeling of needing to control where you and I were both at with our spirituality or worthiness or whatever. It was like, oh, it's not my job it's not up to me to judge you and it's that is a freeing thought with everyone to look at anyone outside of yourself and say it's not my job to judge you it's only my job to love you and that's like consistently taught over and over and over in the scriptures
1: yeah i love that and i think it there can be sometimes and and i don't know how it is for everyone but i think i sometimes there can be a feeling of like oh, it's like, this is up to me. Like I need, I'm, I'm the only contact that this person has with faith or spirituality, or I'm kind of like the spiritual friend and this overwhelming sense of it's just me. But I, I think I've, I've even in serving in like our ARP addiction recovery program, 12 step meetings, uh, like I'm a facilitator. So I'll, I'll, We'll try and reach out to people and and talk to people who are new in the program or going through hard times. And I think that that can be overwhelming. Like, oh, I'm the one who has to go in and save this person. Like, there can be a temptation to feel that. So early on, when I started in that role, I had a very clear, distinct impression and almost like a phrase that came to me. And it's like, it's not your work. Like, Mm -hmm. this is my work. More or less, you're just an instrument. You have to be willing and have to follow what I tell you to, but you're just the instrument. That's it. It was almost freeing to hear that. I'm like, oh, okay. The burden's not on me. I'm not the one out here trying to, I didn't perform the atonement. I didn't, it's not through my grace that this person is saved. It's through the grace of of Christ, if you're a Christian. And so knowing that, I think it can take a lot of that, seeing it in the right way can take the burden off of, I don't know, your back, so to speak, and be like, you know what? I just need to be willing to listen and follow promptings of the spirit and love this person unconditionally. And that's, that's it. I don't need to complicate it and feel like if I don't do this, then it's all on me.
0: I think of my mom too, where she, so my mom's story is kind of interesting. She grew up with a dad who was a member of the church of Jesus Christ, but was completely not active in the church. And then a mom who is not religious at all in any way, and she still is not. So my mom was baptized, I think, by an uncle one time when they were visiting Utah. And so she actually had been taken to primary. My grandparents would take her and my uncle and drop them off on Sundays to primary. And then they'd like go have breakfast and then go pick them back up. It was kind of like a free babysitting service from what I understand. And my mom and her brother loved it. Like they went to church, they enjoyed it. They had a, they had a good experience. And then she was baptized a member of the church we go to when I think she was like nine and her brother was eight. So it was a little bit older than typical baptism age, but right around that time that most people in our church, if you grow up in the church, you get baptized So anyway, by the time she was 12, her parents said, okay, now it's up to you. If you want to keep going, you can. If you don't want to, that's fine. So she stopped going. But because she was on the church's records, she was reached out to quite often growing up. Like people would invite her to activities. They would invite her to come to things. And for most of the time she declined, I think she did have like a little time in high school where she started going back a little bit, but it wasn't like a super consistent thing. And then her second year, so her, not her freshman, but her sophomore year of college, her freshman year, she went to school at like a community college in close to where she grew up in Seattle. But then, I mean, within like a couple hours, but then her sophomore year, she ended up randomly going to Dixie State College, which is now like Utah Tech University, I think is what they renamed it. But anyway, so at the time, Dixie College. And that's where she met my dad. And she also met a bunch of roommates who were very much active members of our church and going every week. And because she had had a very positive mind, not just mindset, but lots of positive interactions with members of our church and that they never gave up on her, they never were pushy with her, but they also always made her feel loved and invited and included even when she wasn't showing up she had a really positive association with our church. And so when the timing was right, it was like she felt comfortable going back. And I think that sometimes it can feel like, well, I don't want to be annoying. And you don't, you you don't want to be like overbearing and like pushy with people. But I also think sometimes all it takes is just making someone feel loved and invited and not giving up on them. And you kind of had an A situation like after your mission, when you moved away, you kind of became less active in our church, right? For a while there, you just kind of like, because you were not surrounded by people who were going.
1: Like I moved up, I was living in Salt Lake and I moved up to Ogden for work. It was just closer to where I was working mainly. And I was single at the time. And so I think it's easier to kind of fall through the cracks a little bit. So I think that people at the, the congregation or the ward that I was going to assumed that I was going to church up in Ogden. And I kind of was just hanging out.
0: And people in Ogden didn't even
1: know to check on no you. No one knew me because I never went to church up there. So yeah. it had been a, you know, it was for maybe a couple of months and I, it wasn't a great time of life for me. I mean, it was as far as like, we've talked a lot about my addiction and that was like a low point in my life for my addiction. And I just wasn't in a good spot, but I remember being with my friends and kind of hanging out on a weekend in general conference, which happens twice a year in our church was the upcoming, it was coming up that weekend. It was going to be October conference. And there's always this one session for, the, for you know, at that time for, they call it priesthood session. So it was just for the men, was that night. It was a Saturday night. And one of, kind of a friend of a friend was like, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna go to priesthood session. Do you guys want to go or let's go? I don't even know if he asked or whatever happened, but somehow that I was, was like- There was an invite. There was an invite. Out. There was an invite. And I, I was like, okay. I was down from Ogden. I had- kind of my clothes packed for the weekend. And I think I'd maybe had packed a shirt and tie at my parents' house or something. So we went and that general conference, that priesthood session happened to be everything that I needed to hear. Like every single talk I felt was directed specifically to me and for me. And I just had a really powerful experience. And I walked out of general conference or that session, knowing pretty well, like what I needed to do to change my life and to get out of situations that I was in. And at that time, and then through the next week or two weeks, I was able to make some of those changes and make adjustments and basically go in and start talking to to my bishop again. And it put me in the right direction. But it, it all came down to a, a very subtle, simple Just invitation. Yeah. Like, hey, do you guys want to go? Do you want to come to this?
0: And I think that sometimes it feels intimidating to throw out those invitations. I mean, you and I both have had assignments where we're in our church. I think it's really cool. We have like a buddy system kind of called ministering where you're supposed to check in on people and kind of be their person. So that they know who they can call in an emergency or they feel connected and somebody's always watching out for someone else and you do it in pairs. And so Neil and I have both at times been assigned to people who are not going to church anymore. And I think sometimes it can feel intimidating to check up on those people because you don't want to be annoying. You don't want to be that person that they're like, leave me alone. Haven't I shown you? I don't want to go to church, but I actually. Like in talking offline about this in preparation for this topic, you and I kind of agreed that I think sometimes all people need is a subtle invitation, like a, hey, no pressure, but we'd love to have you. Because if anybody does get to the point, let's say somebody is like, well, I kind of miss it there, or I miss this about that, or I want to teach my children about that, or I want them to have opportunities to learn about the Bible or learn to give a talk in church or I don't know, whatever, where parenting is hard. Parenting is hard no matter what, no matter how you go about it. And so I just think sometimes for parenting reasons or for wanting to get closer to God or just missing certain things about your faith or your organized religion, maybe people want to go back, but then they feel silly because nobody's reached out to them for a long time or they feel disconnected to that congregation. And so I think, you know, a Using the spirit as a guide to just feel that out, like, does it feel right to make this invitation or does it feel like maybe just kind of like when I said earlier during some of those conversations where someone's opening up, that there are times when you might feel prompted to say certain things. And then there's other times where you just feel like, no, just listen. And I have had like promptings in certain situations where we've talked to friends who their faith is kind of going offline or off-road for a while and kind of just saying to them, like, hey, I promise you that if you make this effort, that that God will match that effort. I've said that a couple times to friends who later on are like, wow, you said that. And it was when I needed to hear it. Kind of like you're saying, you got that invitation and then you ended up hearing all these talks that touched you. I think that the spirit can be the perfect temperature gauge of, is this the right time? Is this a time to throw out an invite? Is this a time to just listen and make people feel loved? But I do think continually making people feel welcome is key, you know, because I can imagine, and I've been in situations where if you haven't been around a certain group or you haven't been active in a certain whatever, not even just church, but other organizations or causes or things, it can kind of feel like, Oh man, now I'm an outsider You know, like if you used to be Really a core part of a group And then you stopped going for a while Then, you know, just always making people feel loved And invited and accepted its That's huge That's such a huge part of Being really like the Savior's church And being the way that Jesus would have us be In any collective faith Where you're making people feel like They're always welcome That's a big deal
1: Yeah, I think it does come down to that. And it is just the power of an invitation, like how powerful that can be. And I just remember that moment for me that it, you know, it was super subtle and it was kind of just like, Hey, this is what we're all doing. But there was a little bit of like, Hey, why don't you come along? And that's, I don't know. Yeah. I I think overall we underestimate the power of our personal influence and just how powerful that can be just by inviting somebody or showing love or extending a hand i think we we drastically underestimate how powerful that is for those around us at least I, I know that i do i think that can be can be really cool really powerful
0: so just to wrap up i think some of the key things to remember are to give people their agency to allow them to choose because all of us are free to choose especially if it's an adult like it's a little bit different if it's a child who's in your home who you have influence over and and their children but even at that like our favorite parenting book christlike parenting talks all about not using coercion but just using love to instruct and invite your kids to hopefully live the kind of life that is bringing you happiness but anyway that that key part of agency is I think really, really important. And then asking and caring and asking in a way that just shows love and concern and wanting to validate and wanting to listen and care is really important. And not having an us versus them mentality of like, oh, well, now you're in that bucket and I'm in this bucket, but really like we're all the same. And then just Continually inviting and making people feel loved. And if they ever do want to come back or want to be some part or a small part or a whole part of what we're doing, that they always feel loved and welcome and invited to come back. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow.